That's it. Uh, I don't know if Pear is up next, but uh, something is here on your great, uh, wonderful KBU community radio station. Signing out. Paul Rowland, bye. Which way, America? Which way, America? Which way, America? Which way to go? This is my country, and I want to know which way America is going to go. There is many a road to travel, many a hill to climb. I'm gonna find the straightest road and walk it till the end of time. Which way America? Which way America? You're listening, you're listening to KBOO Portland, 90.7 FM. The time is 8.59 a.m. Next up is Fight the Empire. Well, good morning. Word today is always time to fight the empire. Uh, that's the name of the show. My name is Per Fogring. Uh, what's in the news uh, today is uh, kind of a, a, something from out of the past. Uh, uh, Belgium has uh, returned a gold crown tooth of Patrice Lumumba to his family. However, activists point out that there's been no accountability or justice for his brutal assassination following a Western-backed coup in 1961. Over six days, six decades after his assassination, uh, Belgium had repatriated the mortal remains of Congolese independence leader Patrice Lumumba. Uh, Belgian Prime Minister Alexandre de Croo presented Lumumba's gold crown tooth to his family at a ceremony held at the Egmont Palace in Brussels uh, on June 20th. 
uh, the remains were placed in a casket and taken to the embassy of the Democratic Republic of the Congo. So that just happened uh, less than three weeks ago. Uh, the casket will be was flown to the DRC, where a three-day national mourning period was observed between June 27th and 30th, marking the 62nd anniversary of independence from Belgium. Uh, this is an important proper, uh, process for Lumumba's family, who has struggled for years to have his remains rightfully repatriated. His son, Roland, stated last week that this would mean that his family would be able to, quote, finish their mourning. At the same time, Congolese activists have fiercely condemned the fact that no one has been held accountable for his assassination. At the ceremony in Brussels, uh, Prime Minister de Croo stated that Belgium bore moral responsibility for the killing. Earlier this month, uh, King Philippe, a descendant of Leopold II, similarly expressed deepest regrets for the wounds of the past. Uh, Belgium has continued to evade its legal responsibility for its con- colonization and crimes against the Congolese people. It has not issued a formal apology or made any attempt to provide repatriations. We might go back uh, how the uh, how some of this uh, how the overthrow of the Congolese independence started. Uh, this uh, 40 years after the uh, murder of independence leader Patrice Lumumba. Uh, evidence, uh, this is from the UK Guardian. Evidence has emerged in Washington that President Dwight Eisenhower directly ordered the CIA to, quote, eliminate him. Uh, the evidence comes in a previously unpublished 1975 interview with a minute taker at an August 1960 White House meeting of Eisenhower and his national security advisors on the Congo crisis. Uh, the minute taker, a man named Robert Johnson, said in the interview that he vividly recalled the president turning to Alan Dulles, director of the CIA, quote, in the full hearing of all those in attendance and saying something to the effect that Lumumba should be eliminated. Mr. Johnson recalled there was stunned silence for about 15 seconds and the meeting continued. Uh, Lumumba, the first... Uh, Prime Minister of Congo after its independence from Belgium in June 1960 was forced from office as the country's civil war deepened and was captured by rivals. He was killed in January 1961, becoming one of the key martyrs of the African independence struggle. No direct quotations were ever recorded at the National Security Council meetings, and Mr. Johnson only revealed the exchange in 1975 when he was privately interviewed by the uh, Senate Intelligence Committee's post-Watergate inquiry into U.S. covert action. Uh, we might go back to uh, what happened in, in, in the in Congo. Um, you know, this uh, gold tooth has a history. And uh, Lumumba was the uh, he was the prime minister. Congo had just become independent uh, from Belgium, although the Belgian uh, mining interests are very very powerful. 
they were sort of still in charge of many things. And uh, right away after Congolese independence, a, a province of Katanga attempted to secede. And uh, they, the Katanga was led by a man named Moise Chombe. And uh, Katanga was also uh, where a, uh, a, a big copper mine was located. And so uh, Lumumba tried to halt the uh, secession of Katanga because the wealth of uh, the wealth of this copper mine, you know, belonged to the Congolese people. And uh, but Lumumba was seen by uh, as being a little too friendly with the Soviet Union, as part of this Cold War mentality that was going on then. So uh, Eisenhower, actually, President Eisenhower actually ordered the killing. This is the thing about the uh, the statement that I read before, that uh, Eisenhower was the one who uh, who, who ordered or okayed the uh, assassination of Lumumba. And what happened was that a, a CIA hitman went to, uh, and then the city was called Leopoldville, named after the Belgian king, and with a, uh, I believe he had a tube of poisoned toothpaste that they were going to put in uh, Lumumba, uh, who was under house arrest, and uh, they were going to put this poisoned toothpaste in his uh, in his room and uh, kill him that way. And uh, but he never really got the chance to do it because he, the Belgians and uh, the Katanga operators got the. Uh, Got Lumumba first. He, um, I believe that uh, Lumumba had. He was under house arrest, and he escaped. Perhaps he was allowed to escape, but he uh, he tried to uh, flee the country. But he um, he was caught, and he was uh, he and the two uh, uh, comrades were uh, were executed by a firing squad. And uh, Lumumba's body was uh, kind of cut up, and they tried to dissolve it in acid. And so all that was left was this uh, this uh, gold tooth, which uh, years later uh, the government of Belgium uh, uh, returned to uh, Lumumba's family. Uh, if people want to call in with questions or comments, the number is 503 231 Eight one eight seven. Is this something that uh, you know? Every now and then, uh, you know, Congo appears in the news in this country, and um, but this is a part of Congolese history that uh, that, that, as far as I can see, gets very little attention, uh, no attention at all. I wonder how many people, how many listeners have uh, have heard of this before. Uh, we might go back a little bit of Congolese history that at one time, uh, uh, back in the 1800s, uh, Congo used to be uh, used to be owned as a private property by uh, King Leopold II. And he had uh, rubber plantations down there. And what came out in, in uh, sort of an expose by a journalist and historian named Roger Casement was that the uh, these uh, 
the, the people who were on the, on Leopold's uh, private plantation uh, tapping rubber trees that if they didn't meet their quotas, they had their hands cut off. And it caused this caused such outrage back in the day that uh, uh, Leop King Leopold was forced to uh, not give Congo its freedom, but it was turned over to the Belgian government. And so uh, it remained part of a Belgian colony until, uh, until I believe, 1961. And so uh, that's a little bit of history of uh, formerly Belgian Congo. Of course, now the, uh, these mineral riches are running out. So uh, also in the news, it's... Uh, The uh, in in, um, in in Russia, there is a, um, a a new government in in uh, in Ukraine, and we what we don't get what has sort of been forgotten is that in Ukraine they had elected uh, an elected leader. Uh, uh, Viktor Yanukovych, who was elected, but he was overthrown by the uh, street mobs in Kiev, and so he had to uh, flee the country. Now this is a, this is a so-called uh, Maidan revolution, and uh, some of the uh, the people who overthrew Yanukovych, who let's remind ourselves was an elected leader. And I believe the uh, the elections were uh, coming up. Uh, new elections were coming up within a, a couple of months, and so he could have been voted out of office then if uh, if those elections had never happened. But he was forced out by the uh, this Maidan revolution. And some of these revolutionaries, there were well, all, there were lots of different uh, people involved in this, but some were uh, uh, some were Nazis. They were members of what is called the Azov Battalion. And so uh, this was sort of the prelude to uh, what's going on. When, you, when, when uh, Ukraine comes up in the news now, it always seems to begin with, uh, uh, with the overthrow of, uh, of Yanukovych and the elections that uh, happen after that. But they don't... Uh, there's hardly anything is said about the uh, the circumstances of his overthrow, and uh, this is kind of a, you can't say it's it's falsified history, but it's kind of by it leaves out a very important part of history that uh, that.
Hi, this is this is Parafagory again with Fight the Empire. I believe I was disconnected for a while, but I think I am back on the air now. And we were talking about how uh, about some of the history of uh, of Congo, how this used to be uh, a King Leopold's uh, kind of private rubber plantation, and how uh, uh, the the men who worked on the plant tapping these rubber trees. If they didn't meet their quotas, they uh, they had their hands uh, uh, chopped off. And then later on, because of the outrages caused about 100 years ago, uh, Congo was turned over, it was taken away uh, from uh, King Leopold, and uh, it became uh, sort of a colony of, of the Belgian government. And so we talked about that. And then... Uh, uh, I invited people to call in if they have a question or a comment about uh, Congo's history. Number to call is 503-231-8187. Uh, also in the news is uh, in in, um, in Ukraine, uh, the president, uh, Viktor Yanukovych, uh, was overthrown by this, uh, what's called the... Uh, the Maidan Revolution, and uh, this uh, overthrow of Yanukovych, he was uh, he was sort of friendly with the Soviet Union at the time, or with Russia, and uh, this overthrow has sort of has been has met with approval in U.S. government circles, and uh, and. When Russia complained about this, uh, their complaints are kind of dismissed as being a kind of a propaganda. And one of the things that uh, that Russia charged was that the some that the people who overthrew Yanukovych uh, that there were Nazis. And this is one of the thing that uh, one item that was uh, 
kind of dismissed by the West. But it is true that part of the some of the uh, uh, people who overthrew Yanukovych were members of what's called the uh, Azov Battalion. It's kind of a militia group uh, that included a lot of uh, uh, Nazi types. And uh, at one time, this is a, a kind of almost like a private army. But since then, uh, since the overthrow of Yanukovych, the Azov Battalion has been incorporated uh, into uh, into Ukraine's army. We have two callers. I believe we have somebody online. Marcos. Hi, you're on the air. Hello? In recent history, since the Cuban Missile Crisis 60 years ago, that truly we are closer to a nuclear war now than we have been uh, in the last 60 years, at least over any pro- prolonged period of time. Uh, there have been some near misses in, in, over the 60 years, but those were incidental and they were, they were fortunately averted. But we now have uh, the, the Democles sword of nuclear war hanging over our heads. Um, and what is seen to be as the trigger to that would either be an accident under very charged and, and hi- highly tense circumstances where accidents are more likely to happen, where there's a lot more uh, drama and tension, and, and the, the possibility of something that would trigger a nuclear war becomes ever more real in the minds of the people whose fingers are on the button. Um, one of the things that, other than an accident, that would actually trigger a nuclear war, and everyone's been worried about this since February 24th, is a direct acknowledgement that the United States and Russia are at war, which would be the preliminary to the slippery slope of nuclear escalation. Well, how is um, that? How how would that how would that apply? Well. In several ways. One, one way was uh, the Russians lost uh, their flagship, the Moskva, uh, mm-hmm. uh, some months ago. And that was sunk. Uh, and the Russians said that it was an accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Ukrainians were bragging that, no, they took it out with a U.S.-supplied missile. There, were, there was commentary from the U.S. side that America was actually supplying the intel that enabled the Moskva to be sunk, that America has been supplying the intel to specifically target uh, Russian generals, that, that America is, is, is basically uh, very much involved with the actual combat operations in Ukraine, quiet as it's kept here. Uh, that there's CIA personnel, there are special ops, um, most of the combat appears to be directed essentially from the Pentagon. And it's only a matter of time for the Russians to actually acknowledge that, which would be an extremely dangerous moment. My theory is that the Russians claim that the Moskva sinking was an accident was because they didn't want to confront the reality that they were at war with, with the United States. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. which is extremely dangerous, but that's that's been minimized uh, by American politicians 
and, and military folks as, as being somehow a non-issue. That's oh, that's the, that's that's Putin bluffing. That's we sh- we sh- we should th- those those are uh, those are idle threats, and, and we need to to ignore that and just do what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's an extremely dangerous moment. One thing that could happen that worries me is we're giving more and more advanced armaments, including uh, anti-ship missiles that are capable of sinking Russian ships. We're giving more and more of these weapons, uh, increasing the the, uh, the lethality of the weaponry that we're sending in terms of its range, that they would actually be able to uh, drop rockets or shells inside of Russia. That's now starting to happen. But it's it's been minimal enough that the Russians have chosen not to make an issue of it. But Ukrainian uh, artillery has been dropping shells actually in, in Russian border towns, killing civilians. Um, it's it, it's only a matter of time before it becomes inescapable. That that well, I shouldn't say that it's, it's only a matter of time. One would hope that we don't mm-hmm. get to that point where it's actually declared that we're at war with Russia. Well, what, can, what, what, what do you think Russia can do? I mean, uh, there's been talk that Russia might uh, has threatened to uh, uh, stop selling oil and gas to the West, which has been portrayed in this uh, in this country as sort of a hostile thing for them to do. But uh, what would happen if they did stop selling, uh, uh, especially uh, uh, Europe and Germany are uh, are dependent on uh, gas from Russia? My, my understanding was Russia was willing to sell its gas, but it was insisting on rubles uh, mm-hmm. for payments. And some countries went along with that, and some countries refused. And the ones that have refused are now facing a big problem when it comes to be fall and winter. Um, and, and they're already actually facing a problem. And there's there's all kinds of talks of uh, European industries shutting down for, for lack of of uh, of needed resources um, no it's 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 the the situation is extremely volatile um, it's 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 sort of a matter of um, uh, I don't know how to say it um, a definition of to say are we at war with Russia or not if the shoe is on the other foot it's it's it'd be um, hard not to see that the United States would say this country is supplying advanced weaponry to, to uh, 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 an armed group that we're at war with or a nation that we're at war with and they're supplying intel, they're, they're supplying targeting information they're in every way in cahoots with this country that we've decided we're at war with we're, we're, they're our enemy too. The the enablers, the the the, uh, the they're co-combatants. They're 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 also you know there would be no distinction made. I couldn't imagine George Bush making a distinction made if Russia was uh, supplying uh, the Mujahideen or, or or the Taliban or or uh, you know I'm sorry I, I misspoke with the, the Mujahideen, but with the Taliban or, or with the people in uh, in in Iraq that we were fighting, if 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 Russia had been involved in either Iraq or Afghanistan the way we're involved in 
in, in the current conflict, it would be very hard to imagine that, that the United States wouldn't declare war on Russia. Um, there's an well, interesting thing. Go, guys. It would seem to me that, uh, you know, that... Uh, that 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 Russia doesn't doesn't have to uh, declare war on anybody. You know that they you know it's recognized that uh, Europe depends for its oil and gas on Russia, and so uh, Russia has the upper hand right there. Uh, the U.S. is trying to somehow uh, get the get Europe off of the off of this dependence on uh, on Russian resources. But we have nothing to replace it with, and so uh, it's a, sort of seems to me a, a situation where you know the the U.S. can kind of huff and puff and and struggle, but uh, the the U.S. is in a very disadvantaged position because Russia uh, Russia sort of has the goods that Europe needs. So go ahead with your with your analysis. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, the economic war against Russia that was touted as, as going to be absolutely uh, uh, a, a body slam on, on the uh, Russian economy, that's obviously been a failure, and, and, and Russia's doing quite a bit better than most of the European countries that we got on board with this idea of sanctioning Russia and, and, and isolating Russia. Uh, that was very poorly thought out, and, and Russia is actually coming up on top in the economic war. Uh, but there's an interesting thing th to give some background that I think you, you'll find interesting as well. Uh, Petro Poroshenko, who was the, the president after the coup, uh, the, the chocolate king, he mm -hmm. acknowledged not too long ago that the whole Minsk agreement, that is the, the peace agreement that was negotiated between uh, the people in the Donbass and Russia and, and the, the Western government, uh, sorry, the, the, the West Ukraine government uh, in, in Kiev, uh, that, that that peace agreement was never sincere, that it was, it was a ruse just to buy time, and that mm -hmm. NATO was training Ukrainian military at a rate of 10,000 soldiers per year, a total of 80,000 soldiers Trained we got, by about, we got about one minute left in the show, so. Uh. Oh yeah, that 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 um, that, that NATO was was very very involved mm -hmm. uh, over the last eight years uh, in Ukraine, and it was while Ukraine was never a member of NATO, that NATO had an enormous presence and was actually uh, tipping the balance militarily in terms of the situation in Ukraine. Um, that that our involvement is a lot longer than than this year in terms of actually being militarily deep in, into Ukraine. Anyways, thanks, Per. Well, thank you very much for your call. And so uh, this is an ongoing situation. Uh, I don't think there's any way out of it unless uh, the U.S. decides to kind of uh, uh, give it up and stop trying to. Uh, run things halfway around the world but uh, there we are where uh, uh, where Russia because of its oil, its oil reserves and gas reserves seems to have the upper hand and doesn't have to uh, 